Anyone's bracket busted March Madness? Man, what a transition, huh? That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) As smooth as it could get. Um, March Madness, man, I I, I, I don't even know if you guys care, but I care. And at this point, Kansas just ruined my entire life. But there's a book called Four Hour Work Week. Anybody ever read it? Anybody want a four hour work week? Yes, come on. Okay, so this was written by a guy named Tim Ferriss. Um, and in this book, one of his arguments to helping us develop a four hour work week is something radical. He suggests that we stop watching the news. Okay, here's what, here's what he said. I want to read you this quote. This is what he said. I hope you're sitting down. Take that sandwich out of your mouth so you don't choke. Cover the baby's ears. I'm going to tell you something that upsets a lot of people. I never watch the news. I've bought one single newspaper in the last five years in Stansted Airport in London, and only because it gave me a discount on a diet Pepsi. I, I would claim to be Amish, but last time I checked, Pepsi wasn't on the menu. That's what he said. Now, why in the world would he do this? Well, he goes on to argue that rarely, if ever, does something productive come from watching the news. In fact, it can kill your productivity and leave you feeling hopeless and helpless. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, show of hands, how many of you recognize that even though there are good things in the world, there's a lot of brokenness? Show of hands. How many of you have ever been lied to, stolen from, abandoned by a friend, not lived up to the standard you set for yourself, or maybe lost your temper? Like this, this is all of us. And that's just your personal life, right? That's just your personal. Let's zoom out 30,000 feet, right? Right now, there is a terrible war going on between Russia and Ukraine, there is division and hatred that's running rampant in our country. Just since January 1 to March 6th of 2023, our country in three months has experienced over a hundred mass shootings. In three months, there's racism, there's persecution, there's this injustice all over the world. And if with all of that happening, if you're anything like me, it can leave you in a place where you ask this question, how did we get here? Like, how did it go so wrong? And what is it about the human condition that constantly just leads us back to this place of brokenness and hurt and pain and injustice? Well, the Bible actually tells us. And yet for so many people, they think the Bible has nothing to say about relevant things. It's just written off as an ancient text that's outdated and has little value. Or the Bible is used in this way. It's used to only talk about how God wants to bless you. God wants to provide you with riches, prosperity, and endless supply of races and promotions and bigger and better stuff. And all the other stuff, the stuff that tells you to, you know, care for the poor, sell everything that we have and how we're in need of a savior. Well, that stuff gets left out. But the reality is this, the Bible tells us exactly how we got here. And over the next few weeks, there are three words that all throughout the Bible, the Bible offers us to help us understand why there's so much brokenness around us and brokenness in us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at these words and how it all leads up to Easter, where Jesus provided the solution to all of it. And we, we hope that you can join us at one of our five services on Easter weekend that are going to start on Saturday night. 
But, but today we're going to start by discussing and looking at the first word that the Bible uses to help us make sense of the human condition and the brokenness that we see all around us. And that word is sin. We're going to talk about sin this morning and everyone sunk back in their chair. Now I grew up, I grew up playing uh, soccer, played a long time. I still play to this day. Um, some of you are like, yeah, but you're washed. I know, but that's okay. Um, play at the dome Thursday nights. Anyone? The dome Bridgewater. Yeah. Whistles over here. That's because Jeff Kaler plays with me. I know exactly who that is. Now here's, here's what happens in soccer. Cause I know none of you care about that sport. Here's here. I want to explain something to you. So in soccer, when somebody gets fouled on the field, what happens is a free kick takes place. So let's say I get fouled right here. They take the ball, they place it where the foul occurred, and then you are given a free kick. Okay. Now what happens is if the ball is close enough to the goal, a good player will take a shot on net. It looks kind of like this. Okay, so I, I think that's Marcus Rashford, Manchester United. He's about to take a shot on net. He was fouled there, and he's about to take a shot. He was given a free kick. And at that moment, you're given a chance to hit the target and score a goal. Okay, but this is way harder than it looks. This is incredibly difficult. There's, there's winds, there's player adrenaline that you have to get the correct spin on the ball to, to bend it around the wall in front. I mean, that, that line of four players there, that's what's called a wall and they can stand 10 yards away from you and protect the net. And so more often than not, even the most skilled soccer players, even the greatest soccer player to ever live, Lionel Messi, even Lionel Messi, more often than not, misses the goal. He misses the goal. And in the Bible, the Hebrew word for sin is kata. And kata means to miss the goal. It means to miss the mark. And maybe right now you're like, well, Brandon, how, how can I miss? What I don't even know. What is the goal? Well, Jesus lays it out for us. Jesus lays it out crystal clear. Here's what the goal is in Mark chapter 12. Here's the mark that we're aiming for. Mark 12, 29 to 31. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Here we go. Here's, here's the mark. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And if, if that's the goal, it, it makes sense why the writer, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he writes this letter to the church in Rome and he says, listen, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all had this kata moment where we've missed the goal. All of us, we've missed the goal. And, and this morning, whether you're religious or not, maybe you've been in church for a little bit, maybe you've never been in church, you've probably heard of what's called the Ten Commandments. Okay, now, uh, may, maybe you grew up in church and you know what that is, or maybe you've heard them referenced just in kind of culture, or maybe you remember Charlton Heston, 1956, running around as Moses. Okay, 
But here's, here's the 10 commandments is broken into two sections. The first five are all about loving God. 10 commandments, two sections, first five, all about loving God. You want to know what the second section is all about? Loving others. Loving others. So the 10 commandments, two sections, loving God, the first five, loving others, the second five. And when Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? He brilliantly summarizes all of them in just two statements. He says, love God and love others. That's the goal. And yet we kata so often, we miss that goal. We hurt those around us. We fight to get our way at any cost. We lie, we cheat, we steal. Now, here's the thing. You might do one of those things better than the other. Like you might, uh, right now, you might say that you're, you're loving others well, but you definitely aren't loving God well. It, truthfully, you're not even sure if he exists. Or maybe it's the inverse of that. Maybe you're doing the opposite. When it comes to God, you definitely love him. You're doing everything that you can to, to please him, to, to serve him. But you're not loving others well. There's conflict and strife and anger and unforgiveness. But man, you're crushing it when it comes to loving God. Now, here's the thing. If you're missing the mark on one, you're missing the mark on both. You, you can't love God and hate people that are made in the image of God. And you can't love people made in the image of God and hate the God that created them. You, you can't do one without the other. Tim Mackey, who founded a company called The Bible Project, which if you've never heard of The Bible Project, highly encourage you. It's an incredible resource. The Bible Project. This is what Tim Mackey said. Sin against God is sin against people. Sin against God is sin against people. So why do we do this? What, what is it that, that, that leads us to this place where we just kata so often? Well, Paul, who we were talking about earlier, he, he writes in this letter to the church in Rome. He says this in Romans chapter 7. And maybe you resonate with what Paul says here in 7 verses 18 and 19. He says, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Here we go. This is, I resonate with this every, every day of my life. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Why is it that so often the free kick is there and we kata, we miss the goal? So Paul gives us a hint here in Romans chapter 7. He's like, this, there's something going on. Here's a hint. But then James, the half-brother of Jesus, gives us the root. Paul's like, here's a hint. James is like, here's the issue. This is what needs to be addressed. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. James 1, 14 and 15. And then we're going to read James 4, 1 and 2, because James reiterates this multiple times. James 1, 14 and 15. James says, temptation comes from our own desires. 
which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Then we go James chapter four, verses one and two. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Like right now, are you in some fights? Are you quarreling with people? I wish we brought that quarrel word back more. Don't, then James goes on. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. James comes in and he says, listen, it's our desires that entice us and drag us away. He says, we have evil desires that are at war within us. Almost like there's this force that's pulling us to kataha. And when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God all the way back in Genesis chapter three, since that day, all of us have been born with desires that leave us in a place where we miss the goal. And there's a word for that. In the New Testament, James and, and other authors like Paul, they use a Greek word to describe sin. And that word is hamartia. And hamartia is used over 150 times in the New Testament. Like this was important. This was emphasized. How many of you guys have ever had like a virus on your computer? Like virus on your computer? Anyone's hands up? You've never had a Mac before, right? <laughs> Macs, we don't get viruses, baby. Let's go, Apple. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, but all seriously, so it, it, what's a virus do? It comes into your computer. It corrupts code in that computer. And that virus has one goal. To copy itself so much that it destroys everything that previously existed until the only thing that is left is the virus. That's what hamartia is. That's what sin is. And James is telling us our code has been corrupted. Our code has been corrupted. This virus, this sin, it wants to take over. And until it has all of you, listen, this is so important. Until it has all of you, every part of your being, sin or this hamartia, it will never be satisfied. James 1 verse 15, listen, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, what happens? It leads to death. This hamartia, this, this force, this corrupt code, it leads to kata, this sin where we miss the goal. And at the end of it all, it leads to death. Now, not physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death. It leads us to a place where we are separated from God. That's what sin does. It, it starts small and it grows and it grows and it grows. Some of you even might remember just a little over a month ago, we were talking, we were in a series called Cycle Breakers. And in this series, we looked at the story of Cain and Abel, who were the first kids of Adam and Eve. And Cain becomes super angry with his brother Abel and he becomes jealous. And this is what God says to him in Genesis 4. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. 
But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Now listen to this next part. This is what I'm talking about. God tells Cain, God warns Cain, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. This hamartia, this sin, it's crouching. It's waiting to pounce and it's eager to control you. And, and listen, I've, I've heard this before. Actually, I hear it quite often. Well, well Brandon, it's not my fault. Like the, if the devil would just stop tempting me, like it's his fault. It's the devil's fault, Brandon. It's not my fault. And truthfully, I think we give the devil way too much credit sometimes. And I love what, there's a commentary called Enduring Word. This is what that commentary says on James 1. It says this, Satan certainly tempts us, but the only reason temptation has a hook in us is because of our own fallen nature. Listen to these next parts. Which corrupts, right? This is that virus. It corrupts our God-given desires. We often give Satan too much credit for his tempting powers and fail to recognize that we are drawn away, not by Satan, but by our own desires. You, you guys know those people that you give them an inch and they take what? A mile. Like maybe that's your kid, right? You give them an inch, they take a mile. Listen, in student ministry, one thing I learned very quickly is you can't play pranks on middle school boys because here's what happens. You play a small little prank, right? You put their, you know, whatever, something in jello and they're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. I'm gonna light your house on fire. Like that's what, that's what middle school boys do. That's what they, like they don't know you give them an inch, they take a mile. That's how sin works. You leave that door open just a crack and sin is going to kick it wide open. So it's important for us to recognize that that is our starting point. We've all katad, we've missed the goal because of this this sin, this hamartia that's in us, these evil desires that pull us away. We don't start as good people. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. All of our code has been corrupted, but there's good news. There's good news. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. Now that word right there is hamartia, the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now, all of that sounds really great, but how do we do it? The author of Hebrews tells us in the next verse, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And so if you want to learn how to hit the goal, 
of loving God and loving others. If you want to learn how to begin to remove that virus that has corrupted your system, the author of Hebrews gives us good news. We, we strip off that sin that, that trips us up and every weight that holds us down. And we do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus. But listen, where you look determines where you'll go. Where you look determines where you'll go. And maybe, maybe you've experienced this driving, okay? So I remember one time I was driving, I think it was on like 95 or something. I was, you know, humming along and I had a friend in the back right seat. And I started talking to them and, you know, what did I do? I, I turned and I started talking with them. And before I knew it, my car was on the rumble strip. Why? Because where I looked determined where I went. When I looked this way, my whole body, my whole direction started to go that way. And it's the same when it comes to our life. Listen, if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you will go this direction. But as soon as you take your eyes off of him, you're off path. The sin around us and in us, all of it is a result of taking our eyes off of Jesus. It's a result of us loving ourselves more than we love God. It's us being more about what's best for me, not my neighbor. It's us thinking more about how we can advance in life and get paid than the needs of those around us. It's about us turning our eyes and affection and attention away from Jesus and onto ourselves. Meanwhile, Jesus has promised those who choose to follow him, those who choose to be his disciples, that he will give you new life and life in abundance. And that's the good news of Jesus, that he came and paid for the sin that you and I couldn't pay for. He he came and lived the perfect life because he knew you and I couldn't. He came so that our relationship with his father could be restored. That is good news. And not only that, but this code that's been corrupted within us, these evil desires, this sin, this hamartia, we now have access to the antivirus. Titus chapter three, verses three to five. Titus is a tiny little book, but man, it's packed with stuff. Titus three, three to five. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled. Why were we misled? Because we took our eyes off Jesus. So we started to be led by something else. And we became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy and evil and we hated each other. But anytime there's a but, there's good news after. When God, our savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done. Listen, you can't do enough good to save yourself, to fix that code, to hit the mark, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins. That word right there, sin, is hamartia, this force, these evil desires. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the antivirus that we all need. For those that have become disciples and followers of Jesus, he's promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
He says, I- I'm, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you an advocate, somebody to help you, somebody that's going to transform you, somebody that's going to help you become this new creation that I'm calling you to be, someone that's going to rewrite this code that has been messed up by this virus. What was once corrupted, it, it can now be restored. What was once broken can now be healed. What was once lost can now be found. That's the good news of Jesus. And if you keep your eyes on him, this is what he offers. An explanation of the brokenness around us and in us, and then new life. It wouldn't be good news if there wasn't a solution. But Jesus was that solution. Now listen, sin, it's a part of all of us. We all miss the mark, we miss the goal, we stand over the free kick and we send it over the crossbar. We experience a war within ourselves to do right and wrong. And from Genesis chapter three, humanity has struggled, struggled to achieve the goal of loving God and loving others. But that's why Jesus came. It's why we celebrate Easter. Because he did both of those things, love God and love others to perfection. So that you and I didn't have to because he knew we couldn't. He came to live that perfect life because he knew you and I couldn't. But as the author of Hebrews tells us, listen, it's only through keeping your eyes on him that you're going to be able to find the life that he offers. Only through keeping your eyes on him will you be able to be transformed into this new creation. So my question for you this morning is where are your eyes set? What are you looking at? Where is your gaze directed? So what do, we, what do we do with all of this? Like, how do we move forward? We've all katad, we've all missed the goal. We've all, we have this hamartia inside of us, this force, these evil desires pulling us away from what God wants for in our lives. So how do we move forward and turn our gaze toward Jesus. Well, for some of you this morning, the question I want you to consider is this. In what area of your life have you given sin an inch? Just an inch. Maybe something like, well, I don't think my spouse would mind if I talked to this person. Like, it'd be fine. I, you know, we'd just text in. It'd be cool. This lie, it's not going to go much further. Like it, it was just a little white lie. It's not going to go much further. This is, is going to stop here. Give it an inch. Or, they, or, you know, this person, they're just going to spend the night. We're not going to have sex. Or, or maybe for you, it's, maybe it's this. It's just, I'm just going to have one more drink. Just an inch. Just one more drink. That's it. Genesis 4, God warns Cain, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master. So whatever it takes, create some boundaries that help you avoid giving even an inch to sin that's crouching at the door of your life. Maybe, uh, here's a few ways you can do that. One is what's what we call growth groups here at Grace Church. 
Growth groups is two to three people getting together, opening their Bibles, sitting across from each other at a coffee shop, at, at, a, at Barrett's, at, you know, at a pub, whatever, whatever you need to do. You sit across in a living room, you sit across from each other and you say, here's the sin that's crouching at the door in my life. Let's pray about it. Let's talk through it. What, like, I want you to know about it so you can hold me accountable. Let's read what God, God's word tells us when it comes to these things. I just need you to be praying with me. You sit across from each other. If you need to do that four times a month, once a month, whatever it takes, who are those people that you're confessing to? To truly overcome sin, it takes something that no one in New England wants to do, and that's be vulnerable. We're tough. We're strong. We're blue collar. We're not, we're not, look at our Patriots team, like do your job. That's what we're about. If that is your attitude, I'm going to tell you right now, you're never going to overcome the sin in your life. There has to be accountability. There has to be vulnerability. There has to be a willingness to sit across from somebody and say, I messed up. Maybe it's something as simple as just leaving the phone out of your bedroom. Like buy an old school alarm clock, put it on your side table, leave your phone in your kitchen and just remove all sin that crouches and waits for us in our iPhone. Or Android, I guess. (laughs) Man, I'm just roasting non-Mac people today. Maybe some of you, like you're in deep, some sort of addiction in your life. We have an incredible program that meets here every Saturday morning called Life Recovery that just walks through addiction, but from a biblical lens. And it's a group of people that are all saying, listen, nobody does. Nobody does accountability or vulnerability better than recovering addicts. Nobody. Because they know that's what it takes. Every week. Saying I'm an addict, but I can overcome. So maybe it's joining that on Saturday mornings. Maybe it's you need to just stop talking to that person that's not your spouse in a flirty way. Maybe it's not letting your boyfriend or girlfriend stay overnight. I don't know what it is for you. Like only you and God know what this thing is, but don't give it an inch or it'll kick the door open. Now, maybe this morning you've never chosen to follow Jesus and become one of his disciples. Like you're here and you're like, I'm just here to kind of check out church. Like, I don't, I don't really know if I believe any of this. I'm just tired, I'm worn down, and I'm trying to find some, a place to feel good. If that's, if that's you this morning, I do have a challenge for you. From now until Easter, I want you to do three things. Three things. I think Easter's in like three weeks, four weeks, I, I don't know, something like that. I want you to do these three things. Just try them from now until Easter. The first thing is just read the gospels. Now the gospels is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the first four books of the Bible. And my challenge to you is read them and just learn who Jesus is. See, see how he lived. 
See how he loved people. See how he loved his father in heaven. Stop letting TikTok tell you everything you need to know about Jesus and never actually opening up the book that's written about his life. Read the gospels, just try it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The second thing is prioritize church. Like maybe it's not been a priority in your life and you're like, I, I don't know, I got stuff. I'm just gonna challenge you from now until Easter, finish your time with Easter. Come for the next three or four weeks and just learn, just sit. Learn what, what Jesus is about. Learn what this book is about. Learn what it looks like to follow him, how people that follow him, what their lives should look like. Come and just sit and learn. And then the third thing is this, I'm gonna challenge you to just try prayer. And it can, even, it can even sound something like this. God, I don't even know if you exist. I don't know if I believe any of this. I don't know if Jesus really died and resurrected. But what I do know is that I'm at my wit's end. And so if you're real, would you just reveal yourself to me? Just try it and see what happens. Because listen, without Jesus, you will never be able to overcome the sin in your life. You'll never be able to hit that mark of loving God and loving others. No matter how many good things you do, no matter how good of a person you are, you need him to be everything for you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with just a time of reflection. Um, I found this, there's a book called Valley of Vision. Um, it's a collection of Puritan prayers. And if there's one thing the Puritans knew how to do really well, it's pray about sin. And so I want to read what we're going to do. This is going to be our prayer to wrap up our service. To wrap up this teaching, this is the prayer we're going to pray together. That, that this Puritan author wrote years ago. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm just gonna ask you, as I read through this, as we pray this together, I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to, as much as you can, tune everything out except for these words. Intentionally listen to these words. And as maybe a word is highlighted in your mind, take note. As, as a phrase stands out to you, ask God, what, why? And so I, I'm just going to challenge you. I, and I say, close your eyes because that helps us focus sometimes. Now, if you need to keep your eyes open, I'm just going to ask, this is what I do. Cause I, when I close my eyes, it just, my mind goes a million places. I have to keep my eyes open and stare at the floor. And that actually gives me, that helps me focus. So whatever you need to do to help you focus on these words, this is the prayer we're going to pray together to close our teaching. Let's pray. Holy Lord, I have sinned times without number and been guilty of pride and unbelief, of failure to find thy mind in thy word, of neglect to see thee in my daily life. 
my transgressions and shortcomings present me with a list of accusations, but I bless thee that they will not stand against me for all have been laid on Christ. Now go on to subdue my corruptions and grant me the grace to live above them. Let not the passions of the flesh nor lustings of the mind bring my spirit into subjection, but do thou rule over me in liberty and power. I thank thee that many of my prayers have been refused. I have asked amiss and do not have. I have prayed from lust and been rejected. I have longed for Egypt and been given a wilderness. Go on with thy patient work, answering no to my wrongful prayers and fitting me to accept it. Purge me from every false desire every base aspiration, everything contrary to thy rule. I thank thee for thy wisdom and your love, for all the acts of discipline to which I am subject, for sometimes putting me into the furnace to refine my gold and remove my dross. No trial is so hard to bear as a sense of sin. And if thou should give me a choice to live in pleasure and keep my sins or have them burnt away with trial. Give me sanctified affliction. Deliver me from every evil habit, every accretion of former sins, everything that dims the brightness of thy grace in me. Everything that prevents me from taking delight in thee then I shall bless thee, God, for helping me to be upright. Amen.